Section 4 of Folklore and Legends Scandinavian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Folklore and Legends Scandinavian by Charles John Tibbets. The Magician's Daughter. Just on the Finland frontiers, there is situated a high mountain which on the Swedish side is covered with beautiful copse woods and on the other with dark pine trees, so closely ranked together and so luxuriant in shade that one might almost say the smallest bird could not find its way through the thickets. Below the copse wood there stands a chapel with the image of St. George as guardian of the island and as a defense against dragons, if there be such, and other monsters of paganism while on the other side on the borders of the dark fir wood are certain cottages inhabited by wicked sorcerers who have moreover a cave cut so deep into the mountain that it joins with the bottomless abyss whence come all the demons that assist them the swedish christians who dwelt in the neighbourhood of this mountain thought it would be necessary besides the chapel and the statue of st george to choose some living protector and therefore selected an ancient warrior highly renowned for his prowess in the battlefield who had in his old age become a monk when this man went to take up his abode on the mountains his only son for he had formerly lived as a married man in the world would on no account leave him but lived there also assisting his father in his duties as watcher and in the exercises of prayer and penitence fully equalling the example that was now afforded him as he had formerly done his example as a soldier the life led by those two valiant champions is said to have been most admirable and pious once on a time it happened that the young hero went out to cut wood in the forest he bore a sharp axe on his shoulders and was besides girded with a great sword for as the woods were not only full of wild beasts but also haunted by wicked men the pious hermits took the precaution of always going armed while the good youth was forcing his way through the thickest of the copse wood and already beheld over it the pointed tops of the fir trees for he was close on the finland frontier there rushed out against him a great white wolf so that he had only just time enough to leap to one side and not being able immediately to draw his sword he flung his axe at his assailant the blow was so well aimed that it struck one of the wolf's forelegs and the animal being sorely wounded limped back with a yell of anguish into the wood the young hermit warrior however thought to himself it is not enough that i am rescued but I must take such measures that no one else may in the future be injured, or even terrified by this wild beast. So he rushed in as fast as possible among the fir trees, and inflicted such a vehement blow with his sword on the wolf's head, that the animal groaning piteously fell to the ground. Hereupon there came over the young man all at once a strange mood of regret and compassion for his poor victim instead of putting it immediately to death he bound up the wounds as well as he could with moss and twigs of trees placed it on a sort of canvas sling on which he was in the habit of carrying great faggots and with much labour brought it home in hopes that he might be able at last to cure and tame his fallen adversary he did not find his father in the cottage and it was not without some fear and anxiety that he laid the wolf on his own bed 
which was made of moss and rushes, and over which he had nailed St. George and the dragon. He then turned to the fireplace of the small hut in order to prepare a healing salve for the wounds. While he was thus occupied, how much was he astonished to hear the moanings and lamentations of a human voice from the bed on which he had just before deposited the wolf. On returning thither, his wonder was inexpressible, on the perceiving, instead of the frightful wild beast, a most beautiful damsel, on whose head the wound which he had inflicted was bleeding through her fine golden hair, and whose right arm, in all its grace and snow-white luxuriance, was stretched out motionless, for it had been broken by the blow from his axe. "'Pray,' said she, "'have pity, and do not kill me outright.' The little life that I have still left is indeed painful enough, and may not last long. Yet, sad as my condition is, it is yet tenfold better than death. The young man then sat down weeping beside her, and she explained to him that she was the daughter of a magician on the other side of the mountain, who had sent her out in the shape of a wolf to collect plants from places which in her own proper form she could not have reached. It was but in terror she had made that violent spring which the youth had mistaken for an attack on him, when her only wish had been to pass by him. "'But you directly broke my arm,' said she, though I had no evil design against you. How she had now regained her proper shape she could not imagine, but to the youth it was quite clear that the picture of St. George and the dragon had broken the spell by which the poor girl had been transformed.' While the son was thus occupied, the old man returned home and soon heard all that had occurred, perceiving, at the same time, that if the young pagan wanderer had been released from the spells by which he had been bound, the youth was, in his turn, enchanted and spellbound by her beauty and amiable behavior. From that moment he exerted himself to the utmost for the welfare of her soul, endeavoring to convert her to Christianity while his son attended to the cure of her wounds, and, as their endeavours were on both sides successful, it was resolved that the lovers should be united in marriage, for the youth had not restricted himself by any monastic vows. The magician's daughter was now restored to perfect health. A day had been appointed for her baptism and marriage. It happened that one evening the bride and bridegroom went to take a pleasure walk through the woods, the sun was yet high in the west and shone so fervently through the beech trees on the green turf that they could never resolve on turning home but went still deeper and deeper into the forest then the bride told him stories of her early life and sang old songs which she had learned when a child and which sounded beautifully amid the woodland solitude though the words were such that they could not be agreeable to the youth's ears for she had learned them among her pagan and wicked relations, yet he could not interrupt her, first because he loved her so dearly, and secondly because she sang in a voice so clear and sweet that the whole forest seemed to rejoice in her music. At last, however, the pointed heads of the pine trees again became visible, and the youth wished to turn back in order that he might not come again too near the hated Finnish frontier. His bride, however, said to him, "'Dearest Conrad, why should we not walk on a little further?' 
I would gladly see the very place where you so cruelly wounded me on the head and arm, and made me prisoner, all which has in the end contributed to my happiness. Methinks we are now very near the spot. Accordingly they sought about here and there, until the last twilight fell dim and heavy on the dense woods. The sun had long since set. The moon, however, had risen, and as the light broke forth, the lovers stood on the Finland frontier, or rather they must have gone already some distance beyond it, for the bridegroom was exceedingly terrified when he found his cap lifted from his head as if by human hand, though he saw only the branch of a fir tree. Immediately thereafter the whole air around them was filled with strange and supernatural beings, witches, devils, dwarfs, horned owls, fur-eyed cats, and a thousand other wretches that could not be named and described, whirled around them, as if dancing to rapid music. When the bride had looked on for a while, she broke out into loud laughter, and at last began to dance furiously along with them. The poor bridegroom might shout and pray as much and as earnestly as he would, for she never attended to him, but at last transformed herself in a manner so extraordinary that he could not distinguish her from the other dancers. He thought, however, that he had kept his eyes upon her and seized on one of the dancers. But alas, it was only a horrible spectre which held him fast and threw its white waving shroud around him so that he could not make his escape, while at the same time some of the subterraneous black demons pulled at his legs and wanted to bear him down along with them into the bottomless caves. Fortunately, he happened at that moment to cross himself and call on the name of the Saviour, upon which the whole of this vile assembly fell into confusion. They howled aloud and ran off in all directions, while Conrad in the meantime saved himself by recrossing the frontier and getting under the protection of the Swedish copsewood. His beautiful bride, however, was completely lost, and by no endeavours could he ever obtain her again though he often came to the Finland border, called out her name aloud, wept and prayed, but all in vain. Many times, it is true, he saw her floating about through the pine trees, as if in chase, but she was always accompanied by a train of frightful creatures, and she herself also looked wild and disfigured. For the most part, she never noticed Conrad, but if she could not help fixing her eyes upon him, she laughed so immoderately and in a mood of merriment so strange and unnatural, that he was terrified and made the sign of the cross, whereupon she always fled away howling into one of the thickets. Conrad fell more and more into melancholy abstraction, hardly ever spoke, and though he had given over his vain walks into the forest, yet if one asked him a question, the only answer he returned was, "'Ay, she is gone away beyond the mountains.' So little did he know or remember of any other object in the world but the lost beauty. At last he died of grief, and according to a request which he had once made, his father prepared a grave for him on the place where the bride was found and lost. Though during the fulfillment of this duty he had enough to do, one while in contending with his crucifix against evil spirits, and at the other with his sword against wild beasts, which were no doubt sent thither by the magicians to attack and annoy him. 
At length, however, he brought his task to an end, and thereafter it seemed as if the bride mourned for the youth's untimely death, for there was heard often a sound of howling and lamentation at the grave. For the most part, indeed, this voice is like the voices of wolves, yet at the same time human accents are to be distinguished, and I myself have often listened thereto on dark winter nights. Alas, that the poor maiden should have ventured again so near the accursed paths she had once renounced. A few steps in the backward course, and all is lost. End of section 4